Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is episode eight. and Rio possible because I guess I had realized that my perspective on racing had changed a little bit and uh, I was too metal focused and result focused going into London and I had to come back to that place going into races just wanting a performance that I can be proud of because obviously there's all sorts of variables that happen in a race you can't control everything that happens sometimes other people are just better even though you've given your best so could I go out and give a race give a performance that I could be proud of and then be happy with that and cross the finish line knowing that I had done my best and, and feeling good. And, and that was really my ultimate goal for Rio is I wanted to cross that finish line and I wanted to be like, yeah, you know, you did your best, that was awesome. And I think because in my race in Rio, if you saw it, I crashed in the first minute of racing. That was Catherine Pendrell, three-time Olympian and 2016 bronze medalist. Catherine is one of my heroines and someone who I found a lot of inspiration from, not only from her very consistent and very accomplished race results, but from her dedication and work ethic to the sport. She works harder than almost anybody that I know, and she has so much discipline in her life and in her training. And not only that, but Catherine is so nice and just so approachable to everyone that she meets, and she gives back to her community where she resides in Kamloops, British Columbia. She's the president of Kamloops Bike Riders Association and has paired with parents to host Kamloops' first kids mountain bike race league. She's also founded the Interior Cyclocross League in BC, which I've actually participated in, and I'm really thankful for that. Catherine grew up riding horses and later bicycles in New Brunswick, Canada. And after finishing sixth place at the Canada Summer Games in 2001 for Team New Brunswick, she moved to British Columbia to complete her bachelor's degree at the University of Victoria. And ironically, it was at Triathlon Club that she met both her coach and her husband that she definitely gives a lot of credit to for her successes. Catherine believes in surrounding yourself with people who are going to support you on working on a positive mindset in a number of different ways and in always doing your best and not always being focused on the final result. I think you'll find a lot of value in this transparent and awesome conversation with Catherine. She's very gracious in telling us some of her secrets to her success and her experiences with both her amazing accomplishments, but also how she's dealt with disappointments and things that have happened to her in races, including in the Olympics that were beyond her control and how you mentally can overcome these things. She also talks about injury and how to get your confidence back after a crash. She had suffered two broken collarbones two years in a row, but was able to turn those setbacks into a huge opportunity for her. Catherine has won three World Cup overall titles and is the two-time world champion of cross-country mountain biking. She's incredible. So I'll let Catherine do the talking. Let's get into it. Hope you guys enjoy this as much as I did. So welcome, Catherine Pendrell, to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. <laughs> yeah, it's great to chat with you, Sonia. Yeah, it was super fun over the weekend to come up to Kamloops and ride with you and check out some of your local trails. Mm -hmm. I think uh, everybody enjoyed seeing us dish it out with the boys lap by lap. <laughs> yeah, I love that our team name was the Unicorns, too. It was like, so <laughs> fitting, and we each had like funny unicorn socks. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I bet most people in Kamloops don't realize that they have 
a bronze medal Olympian just living right down the street from them because you're so humble. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, definitely the Olympics gives you a lot more exposure than, say, winning a world championship. I'm sure nobody knew that there was a two-time world champion living in Kamloops, but the Olympics gives you a little bit more recognition. So uh, definitely a lot more people that will uh, say hi to me in the grocery store. But uh, still, Canadian culture is a bit funny where we're uh, a little bit shy to go up and to talk to people that you know from seeing them race on TV and things like that. Yeah, I know. I always brag about you and say, did you know that two-time world champion and uh, Olympic medalist and you're a three-time Olympian, right? Yeah. Live in Kamloops? And people are like, really? And, yeah. So it's so <laughs> cool. But how did you uh, get into cycling? I mean, there's this amazing dream that everybody has and, and you've achieved that. You've got into cycling, you moved up the ranks, and now you're the best in the world at what you do. Yeah, so I guess for me, it was very um, organic start to cycling. I grew up in New Brunswick and I was uh, grew up on a horse farm and I rode horses since before I could walk, basically. And uh, I guess it was when I was becoming a teenager and maybe getting a little bit disillusioned with the, the money that it would require to continue in horseback riding at the level that I desired to go. When my brother got a mountain bike for his birthday and he started exploring the horse trails around our farm on his bicycle. And then there's a race about 15 minutes down the road from our house. And he's like, why don't you give it a try? And, uh, I went to that first race and I saw all these people that were piling out of cars with all their camping gear and bikes and, you know, they're going out there, they're pushing themselves hard and they're getting dirty and they just seemed really down to earth. And I just felt like I had found my people. So it wasn't actually the sport amount of biking that drew me in initially. It was, it was the people that I wanted to get to know and, and be a part of that community. And, you know, super fortunate to have this great community in New Brunswick and a brother that would let his little sister <laughs> slower little sister tag along on all the rides and you know starting off walking downhills and uh, never having a bike that worked properly and then uh, little by little just improving every year and and seeing that improvement and, and getting a little bit inspired to always just keep pushing and see can I be faster next year and I that's been the mentality that I've taken with me my entire career I wasn't one of those people that dreamed about being world champion, I was just like, oh, I wonder if I can get faster next year. And it just grew from there every year. I love that because a lot of times people think that when people are successful at something, it's become this overnight success. It's like, oh, suddenly someone wins a world championship or suddenly someone is a really successful entrepreneur. But really, it's a most people have humbling beginnings. And I think that that's important to always remember your humbling beginnings because all of us have to work so hard and hard work is really what gets you to that level. It doesn't just happen immediately. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, growing up in an environment where there wasn't a lot of pressure because I was from a small province or weren't many girls doing it. I really got the opportunity to just develop at my own pace without any pressure and, and just be appreciative of small gains. And I think that's what where sometimes people get off track is they really start and they think that it all has to happen within a year because they've invested so much in getting there, but it doesn't all happen in a year. It's those small steps and it's being appreciative of those, celebrating those small goals and then those all just add up and then eventually, wow, you're surprising yourself with what you can do. Yeah, so you started you started racing and, and working harder and harder. So what brought you out west? 
What brought me out west was uh, the allure of BC. <laughs> when you grow up in the East Coast, you just hear so much about how cool BC is. And I decided I wanted to finish my schooling out there. I had done two years at the University of New Brunswick. And uh, my brother had moved out west and all of his guy friends and all of our bike friends were out west. So it seemed to be the place to be. And uh, I was always up for a bit throwing myself into a little bit of an adventure. So I'm like, why not go to school in BC and see how that turns out? That's awesome. Yeah. The idea of just having a community around you to do those things that you like to do with people, I think that's really key, especially in mountain biking, because most people don't just go mountain biking for the first time on their own. They always go with somebody that invites them. And that's so cool that you had your brother to do that with. For sure. And actually moving to BC was a really big part of continuing in the sport because growing up living in the country and then you'd be like in school day in a summer job and then you train in the afternoon and if there's no um, that time there are no girls doing the sport also so you know it's, it can feel quite isolating to be a serious athlete but by moving to BC I joined the triathlon club at my university just because I wanted people to train with and I had actually thought at that point that I wasn't going to race anymore because it was just too hard to find life balance but I still I really loved training and I loved um, the social aspect of it so I got into triathlon I did one triathlon I realized that by far, biking was the best part for me. And uh, maybe I should concentrate on that. And, you know, I was super fortunate. The very first bike practice at that university triathlon club was uh, I met my coach who has coached me since 2003 and my husband. I met them both on the same day. So um, definitely the two most uh, influential people on my career and, and getting to the next level. I, I met by just uh, wanting to throw myself into that environment where I had kind of the social aspect to progress in sport. That's so cool. And I, I love that you mentioned meeting both your husband and your coach on the same day. And I was actually doing a bit of reading about you just on Google. And of course, as you mentioned, with being an Olympian, there's lots of awesome articles to read. And I read in one of them where you had asked your coach to coach you. And he, and he was like, well, I didn't actually see a world champion in front of me. And that's such an amazing story because... Yeah. Yeah. So how did that kind of go down? Uh, yes. <laughs> My coach had a, a women's development row team and he had one spot left and he had to choose between me and another girl. And he chose the other girl because <laughs> <laughs> he didn't see he didn't see that spark. I'm not a rider that um, has really flashy power. You know, my max power probably isn't that much higher than my threshold power. So, you know, it's, I don't stand out as that person that sprints away or can do something, win a sprint, but I can always be there. And, um, you know, and I was a really quick responder to training. So midway through the race season, when I started riding in front of all of his of his team riders he's like hmm okay maybe but then still was, I had asked him a couple times if he'd coached me before he finally <laughs> agreed to do it and so yeah it's, it's pretty funny but um I guess it's just uh not always looking for the flashiest rider it's it's looking for that athlete that's in the background and is just doing the work and ticking away and making progress and uh making sure that there's opportunities for them as well yeah that's such a great lesson for our listeners because a lot of people will give up because they think, oh, I'm not the flashiest rider or I'm not really going to be of that quality. But you're a great example of just working hard towards something. And I mean, you're amazing. And the fact that somebody at first you said, hey, will you coach me? And they didn't believe at first and you just kept going like that. I think that tenacity has showed throughout your career. Yeah, and definitely what I've seen coming up and racing the BC Cup circuit and 
you know, it's not always the flashiest rider that gets to the highest level. It's those that are willing to put in the time and persevere. And, uh, you know, if you want it enough and you're the one that prioritizes making that a part of your life, even though it means you go in debt for a couple of years, yeah. uh, it, can, it can pay off, right? Yeah. So you were doing triathlon, then you started kind of just focusing on cycling. You get this great coach. And what, what kind of blossomed from that? Yeah, you know, it was still kind of like a steady progression. I did a year on the provincial BC Cup circuit and then Canada Cups for a couple of years where I was, I still never won the Canada Cup overall. I've been second three times. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, from there to US Cup, so very progressive career, always once I could get to the podium at one level, I wanted to keep pushing and stretching myself and, and trying to get there at the next level. And, um, you know, I'd say it was around 2006, 2007 that I really got really focused in my training. And um, because I was kind of at that make or break point where I was spending a lot of money to do it and not making a lot of money. And so I knew that kind of I had to give it another go and see if the, the training that I had put in was paying off. But kind of after that, maybe I'd have to make some decisions about, okay, what are you going to do with your life, right? I was waiting tables at the time and just not feeling the, the life satisfaction that I wanted out of that. And the first race that I went to that season, even though I knew I put in this like really good focused training year, uh, I went to that first race and I had done the, the same race the year previously and I was even worse result than the year before. And I was just so disheartened, but I knew that I had done the work and I knew I just had to give myself some time to see that work pay off. And uh, it ended up being my breakthrough season where by the end of the year, I finished sixth at the world championship. So, wow. you know, at that first US cup, I was 14th domestically. And then by the end of the season, uh, just like the accumulation of experience and better start position and more fire and just giving your body time to respond to the training. I had the breakthrough season. So, you know, I was just so glad that I hadn't given up or thought that what I was doing wasn't working. I, I gave, t I had to give my training time to play out and see if it would work. So what do you attribute all this self-belief to? Because you, that took confidence and it's hard to say, oh, I just had a really bad result. I've worked so hard. And then to believe in yourself enough to know that that hard work is going to pay off, especially when you're in debt, you're working a job you don't like. I mean, that, that's a really hard thing to move forward from. Right. I think it's really about surrounding yourself with good grounded people. So my husband has always been the one with amazing perspective for me because you get as an athlete, you get emotionally attached to oh, if that was a good training ride or not, or did you train harder the year before? And it's the people on the outside that can kind of see things a bit more global perspective that can really help keep you in line and just feed you the confidence that you need. And, and even people going into a World Cup where they'd be like, oh, I think you could podium. And I'd be like, really? You think I can do that? And then if other people think you could do that, then you start believing, well, if they think I could, like maybe I really could. So who you surround yourself with is super important. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I've, I've heard that and I agree with the fact that who you surround yourself with, you are a portion of them and they all influence you. So if you surround yourself with negative people or just people that don't build you up, it definitely makes it harder for you to be successful. And I think that it's great that you have such a great support network around you. And I, I really like your husband, Keith, I think he's a really smart and just positive energy person who also works very hard. 
Yeah, for sure. It's funny. He's also a physics teacher so and a coach. And this morning we were like drawing graphs of like the different forces when you're jumping and just kind of, that's awesome. um, that's, it's kind of, a, it's like, oh, we're such geeks. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of, uh, isn't really neat to be able to discuss training ideas and concepts with him and skill progression and, uh, you know, be able to train together when we can and, and, uh, yeah, just have him as a partner in my career. Yeah, and you travel a lot for your career. I mean, I know it's hard to know the exact number of days, but how often would you say you're away from home? Uh, you know, I feel like it's gotten better. When I first joined a pro team, the Cliff Pro Team, formerly the Luna Team, back in 2008, I think I was home four weekends between April and October. So it was super intensive. Now there's only six World Cups this year, World Champs, Nationals. So I'm home a lot more. I'm actually home pretty much the entire month of June. So I think over the years, I've learned how to balance it a little bit more. I'm not typically on the road more than two to three weeks at a time. But yeah, I mean, it can it can be tough. It's, I think it's easier for me because I'm the one out on an adventure. But of course, it's always good when your races are going well. When your races aren't going as well, it, it can be tougher to be away from home. But yeah, it's, it's just a, a balance you, you figure out. And uh, I think I'm luckier than a lot of business people that are constantly on flights uh, most of the year. Yeah, it looks like you guys do a really good job balancing that. But I need to go back to when you met Keith, because how, how did that transpire? So you met him and your coach. And what happened with that? I bonked on the first bike ride, which is totally ran out of energy. And he was the one that offered to buy me a chocolate bar. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so he's a smart a guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the weight of my heart. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, it's, of course, we were in the triathlon club and, and found that we were both actually mountain bikers in the triathlon club. So that was an instant connection and just went out for a mountain bike ride. And it just kind of grew from there. Cool. And you mentioned that you joined the Luna team in 2008 that is now called the Cliff Pro team. And that was also your first Olympics in Beijing. Is that correct? Yes, it was. So yeah, it was pretty uh, nerve wracking for me to actually have so much change in Olympic year. It was the first year that I decided to not work in the winter, which I was really afraid that too much free time might make me slower somehow. But you know, I wanted to give myself the best opportunity to train well and recover well. And then I also joined the new team. So I had new bike, new sponsor, everything new. But I was totally blown away with the fact that not only were they going to give me a salary, but they wanted to pay for my travel too. And I kept verifying with them. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm from Canada, right? Everything's expensive from Canada. (laughs) They're going to support me to do this. So it was just, uh, you know, this awesome step forward in terms of going to World Cups as a privateer, trying to find somebody to hand me a water bottle in a race, to now traveling with a team that had mechanics, that had a soigneur, a massage therapist. So yeah, a a really huge change that just enabled me to be able to find my best and perform. Yeah. And that team, I mean, it's one of the longest standing teams that I think I've seen. Yeah, I believe we are the the longest standing team that's not a that's outside of the bike industry. So there are there are bike companies that have sponsored teams for a long time, but to actually have a company from outside the sport come in and say, We wanna support this team and and they started it because the owner of Clipper, Gary Erickson and his wife, Kit, had a daughter and they wanted her to have role models to look up to and they wanted these female role models to be strong and powerful and ambitious. So he created a mountain bike team because he was a cyclist and, you know, we're super fortunate that he's just remained passionate about the team and, and what we've accomplished and wants to support that. 
Yeah, and there's some really amazing women on the Cliff Pro team. Like, I just want to hang out with all of you guys on a regular <laughs> basis, especially when I see like your Instagram stories when you're traveling. And how has it been surrounding yourself with such a high caliber of other women? And what's the dynamic been over the years on the team? Before I was even on the team, I wouldn't send them a resume until I had results that I felt were worthy of the team because they're so good. But I remember going to those races and seeing the girls warming up together and seeing them dominating the races and just knowing that I wanted to be on that team because they were just so amazing. And then to, to be on the team and to realize everyone is a unique person and they all train differently, but they're all successful and they're all just amazing people that are, have done a lot with their lives and give back to the sport and, uh, and seeing them improve over the years. So Katarina Nash has been on the team since the very first year in 2002 and she's a, an Olympian in cross-country skiing, an Olympian in mountain biking. And even though she went to her fifth Olympics this summer in Rio, she had her best result. Uh, she came wow. fifth in that race. And uh, she's, uh, I can out her, she's turning 40 this year. And she just continues to improve. She wins cyclocross World Cups and mountain bike World Cups. And just uh, an amazing athlete. And that shows just how much determination and training ethic gets you places. The dynamics is really different this year. We've got uh, more younger athletes on the team, which I'm really excited about. I think they just bring a freshness to the team and any perspective that is really great to help teams grow. And we, our team had been all pretty much 30 and older. So it was really great to be able to bring in some younger athletes and see them progressing through the program and uh, just get to share their progression with them is really exciting. Yeah, I know when I started cycling and doing some cross-country mountain bike racing, I definitely noticed the team when it was called the Luna team. And I really looked up to all of you guys. And I, I think that that's achieved its goal of being a good role model. And now also having Leah Davison with the Little Bellas on the team, I think that that's even more powerful of a message. Yeah, I think so too. Um, you know, we've got such an amazing team. And just, I think when we're Exactly. At the races, it's when you girls see a girl's team and how strong they are, they want to, it helps feed that ambition to, to be there and getting to be more a part of the, the little Bella's programs and just meeting with those little girls and uh, chatting with them and, and seeing their ambition and spark for riding. It's been really exciting. Yeah. So I want to go back to 2008. So you're going to your first Olympics. Like, how are you feeling? And, and what is this experience like? Oh, yeah. Nervous. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it's really interesting because I didn't get official word until July that I was going to the Olympics and then the Olympics are in August and oh, oh my, my coach gosh. and I are just like, okay. And that, that is typical for a lot of Olympians. We don't officially know until two months before. So my coach and I were like, okay, like what we're doing is working. Don't do anything crazy. Just, you know, we'll just, keep to what we're doing. And I thought we were going to go there and it's like, it's the Olympics and people are going to bring something special. And, you know, just like, I'll just go and just do your best when you're there. And I was so nervous the night before the race. And I was going through kind of like a checklist of like everything I needed to have done and thought about to be prepared. And I got through it all. And I realized that I had done everything on my checklist and I actually knew what I'm doing and I was ready to race in the Olympics. And, uh, you know, and then I just slept amazingly well. I did my warm up and we got to warm up in like air conditioning and stuff. And then, 
you step out and I thought it was all calm. You step out into the heat of Beijing and you hear the volume of the crowds and see everybody there. And it's like, my legs just start shaking. (laughs) (laughs) But then it's like, as soon as I got to the start line and the gun went off, it's just business as usual. You've biked raced so many times that you know what you're doing. It's all the same girls that I had raced at at world cups all year. And I just went there to, to do my best. And to this date, I still think that was the race that I was the most in the zone for just like total ton of vision, all that was happening. All I saw was what was happening in that bike race. And it was an amazing ride by midway through the race. I was in uh, riding with a uh, arena Kalantieva for third and fourth position. And then I made a tiny mistake on the last lap and she got by me, but I got fourth at my first Olympics. And it, it was uh, just so exciting because It was my second year of racing the World Cup series, and uh, I didn't know what I could do. And it was kind of, even though I'd actually won a World Cup going into it, getting fourth at the Olympics was that validation of like, okay, like that result wasn't a fluke. You actually could be one of the best in the world. And uh, I just went into the next season totally motivated by that. That's so cool. And I love the way that you frame your result because I, I saw that you were nine seconds away from third place and you mentioned you made a mistake on that mm-hmm. lap. So how do you go about processing that? I mean, like there's ways you could say, oh, like, dang it, you know, I was only nine seconds off the medal and I shouldn't have made that mistake. And you could be so hard on yourself or you yeah. could turn it around like what you said and say, oh, well, I did awesome. And, and it really yeah. helped pave the way to help me really believe in myself. Right. Yeah. I think, um, for me, like the mistake I made, this is back when we actually had three chain rings on our bikes. And I was just like, I made the mistake because I was so motivated and I wanted to give my best that I was going to climb this gear in a harder, that hill in a harder gear than I'd ever been able to do it before because I wanted it that bad. And, and then halfway up the climb, I'm like, Nope, I need to shift. And then I shifted and everything skipped. And then I was off my bike and running. And so, you know, it was frustrating, but at the same time, it could have come down to, we rode into the finish line together and she out sprinted me right so you don't know what would happen I made a mistake mistakes are part of bike racing even the person that wins will tell you that they made a mistake right and so when I saw newspaper articles afterwards that were like oh heartbreak and disappointment for Pendrel fourth and I'm like no that's like interview me that's not actually how I felt like Yes, yeah, so when I watched the podium, it was there was a little bit of a heart twinge, and I was like, okay, maybe I won't watch the podium anymore. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but you know, it's it's still just recognizing when you've had a great ride, and yeah, maybe it could have been better, but was it still a good ride? And if it was, take that and enjoy that, and then do it even better the next time. <laughs> yeah, I love how you view making mistakes because, you, like you said, it doesn't matter who you are everybody makes mistakes and you can let it define you or you can let it be something that you learn from and grow from. And even like you just said, you said, well, maybe I wouldn't have had a misshift, but then something else would have happened later that could have prevented me from being there. So that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I think part of being a successful bike racer is you have to keep those things in perspective. And if there's an error, you have to, you have to note it, but then you have to be able to move on and go on and do something better. Yeah, so you took your experience in the Olympics and then you started doing even more World Cup racing and you have a couple, is it two overall series titles? Uh, Three. Three? Yeah. (laughs) That's that's great. And I mean, the World Cup title, that means that you had the most points across all the World Cups. So you you are the most consistent rider out of everybody. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I guess I've earned the name Miss Consistency now. (laughs) Yeah. And what would you say to people about consistency in training or just in general? 
Well, I mean, it's really interesting. A lot of people think that most of our races are in Europe. And a lot of people think that being from North America, and I am always dealing with a nine hour time change whenever I travel over, I'm usually traveling over the week of so I'm four days, four to five days before my races. And people see that as um, a disadvantage, like having to always be dealing with jet lag. But I think it might actually prevent us from overtraining. I think um, if you are based in Europe, it's really easy to think, oh, I can train a little bit more, I can do push myself a little bit harder. And maybe you're not giving yourself the rest that you need to be fresh for the A races like a World Cup. And so being stuck on a plane for, you know, 17 hours of travel by the time I get from Kamloops to Europe, you know, it's a little bit of that forced recovery. And um, so I think having a smart recovery plan going into your races is really key to that consistency. And uh, obviously doing the consistent training work all winter, but also having a really strong mental performance plan. And, you know, it's being in touch with your goals before every event and what you need to do in that race to achieve them, where, what are going to be the hardest points of the race? What are, what are going to be your advantages and how you can optimize those and making sure that you're entering all of your races, feeling confident, knowing the work that you've done that can help you be successful in those races. And then allowing the training work that you've been doing all work to just show itself once you get down to go time. So do you focus on all those things like in a meditation or do you just like sit down and write them down? Like, what do you do for that? Yeah, I really find that um, writing things down helps me a lot because it just helps me put my thoughts out more clearly. If I'm feeling unconfident about something, I write down like, why are you feeling like that? And then and then kind of all the things that I've done that would be like, oh, maybe I'm not as strong as the other girls. It's like, well, actually, you know, you've done this for training. You've been successful doing this. And so, you know, there's a good chance that you'll have a good race this weekend and, and kind of just putting yourself in the right spot. I find meditation and yoga really helpful when, or even just going for a walk in the woods or fields or something, when I'm feeling the race, like there's race nerves that are good nerves and there's race nerves that are bad nerves and that stress that makes you feel more self-doubt and more anxious. So if I'm feeling those more anxious feelings, I find that's where meditation and yoga really helps kind of quiet a lot of the chatter and just kind of focus down to the essentials ideas. And, uh, you know, when there's good race nerves, I, I go with those because I think those help you perform. So what would you say to people or maybe in your own experience when you aren't as prepared as you want to be for a race? Because not everybody is always prepared or maybe you've had something happen. Maybe you got sick or you crashed. What would you yeah. recommend in that situation? Or maybe you're prepared, but other people are just better that year too, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's about being realistic in your expectations. So knowing what you've done. Okay. You know, I've done the work. I didn't do as like the work as well as I would have wanted because this happened and this happened, but what is the best that I can be right now? And that's actually what I've broken two collarbones two years in a row. And that was the best thing that I got from being injured. It was came after my second Olympic games where I was super disappointed with the result that I had. And it wasn't really until an injury forced me to slow down and kind of respect that at this moment in time, my body wasn't where it needed to be to perform at the, the most maximal level, but I could still be the best of what I was at that moment. So yeah, I'd say just coming back to what is the best that you can do that day. And maybe it's not the best that you can do ever in your life, but it's the best that you can do that day. And so you have to respect that. Yeah, I think the acceptance acceptance of that is the hardest part because people's ego get involved and that's what makes people make excuses or treat other people poorly because they think they should be 
at a certain result or a certain level. So how have you been able to just to say that, but actually accept that? Yeah, I mean, an injury definitely forces you to accept it. But even this year, you know, I've had races that haven't gone as well as I would have liked. And I guess I know that dwelling on the things that went wrong isn't going to help me. It's focusing on the parts that were good, but also, okay, you know, things went wrong, but is there also more that I could do to make sure things don't go wrong or to, you know, if, if you have an error to mentally and physically get back up to pace more quickly so that you can still have the best results. So it's focusing on what can actually make a difference rather than dwelling on what wasn't great. Yeah. And also I think the impermanence of that too, like you worrying about what other people think is a part of everybody's daily life. And in your wheelhouse, it's like, you could say, oh, well, like this happened, I had a crash or whatever at the race. And now what are people going to think? But it sounds like you don't really worry about that as much. You you focus on giving your best effort and knowing that you're going to learn from that and that your next race, you're going to come back even better. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like everyone, you are disappointed when it doesn't go well. But yeah, I guess I've just done it long enough to know that being stuck on disappointment isn't gonna isn't gonna help you find success at the next one and I really I really want that next one to be better so I love the feeling when things go well and when you know you've given your best and so that's what I'm always looking for so how did you kind of come up out of the London Olympics so let's talk really quickly about that one that one was in um was it 2012 yeah and I think you were ninth at that one is that right yeah. And, yeah, which so, doesn't sound that bad from the outside, but for myself going in as a as a, a gold medal contender, it was pretty devastating. So uh, it was definitely of my career. It was the hardest thing to get over, and I, I know that sounds funnier. Uh, funny is like easier to get over an injury than that because it just you feel like you failed, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's tough after that to throw yourself back out there and to make yourself vulnerable and to to try and give your best at a race when maybe you might come up short again. And it was, you know, a little bit of a longer process, but it came down to watching another high performer and their world champion in skiing and they were supposed to win the medal and they came up short and they're like, oh, that's too bad. And, and my reaction was like, oh, that's too bad. I thought she would have done better. And I realized that, oh man, that's how other people saw my Olympic race. It was like, you know, for definitely the people closest to it, it was uh, uh, more of a disappointment. But for most people, it's like, oh, we hope she would do better. That's too bad. And then they moved on. And so it was time that I moved on too. And, uh, you know, not get stuck on uh, this this race that didn't go as I had dreamed it would go. And uh, just seeing getting back out there and, and making myself vulnerable and trying to be the best in the world again was this incredible opportunity by putting yourself out there and trying is the only way that you're going to find that, that ultimate thrill of success. Yeah. So if you, if you have a failure, it's not going to help you heal from that failure to kind of turtle and get and get in your shell and be afraid to try again. And it's through those efforts of trying again and maybe having those ups and downs that makes you more stronger whenever it happens again. Yeah, definitely. And I would say that that what I learned from that race is what actually made a medal in Rio possible because I had, I guess I had realized that my perspective on racing had changed a little bit and uh, I was too medal focused and result focused going into London. And I had to come back to that place of um, how, 
going into races, just wanting a performance that I can be proud of, because obviously there's all sorts of variables that happen in a race. You can't control everything that happens. Sometimes other people are just better, even though you've given your best. So could I go out and give a race, give a performance that I could be proud of and then be happy with that and cross the finish line, knowing that I had done my best and, and feeling good. And, and that was really my ultimate goal for Rio is I wanted to cross that finish line and I want to be like, yeah, you know, you did your best. That was awesome. And I think because in my race in Rio, if you saw it, I crashed in the first minute of racing and uh, had a couple things go wrong in that race. And so it was just a constantly overcoming adversity to, to get to the front. And I think if I had gone in with that metal focus and only putting a value on a metal performance that I would have felt that it was over and there's nothing left I could do and I wouldn't have had the race that I did. But when going in knowing, okay, all these things went wrong, but I still have like an hour of racing that I can make something really good happen with, then I just, uh, I had this super focus and uh, charged the whole race and ended up winning a medal by two seconds. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it wasn't a perfect race by any means. But it was a metal performance that I earned every ounce of. <laughs> yeah, I did watch it. And it was one of the most inspiring things I've ever watched. Because so many people in that situation would just give up and say, oh, well, like, I crashed. It's not meant to be. Or they would win the medal and complain about the fact that they crash and make excuses. And yeah. it was just so inspiring to me to watch how hard you work to get back up to the front of that race and how you didn't give up and just it's such a great example for everybody no matter what they're doing in their life that if you just focus on the process and don't give up and just keep pushing that you can really accomplish something to be really proud of mm -hmm, for sure I mean there's so many things that can happen in life or change in life that I think you just need to stay your course and give your best and uh, you know often that can be rewarded <laughs> I love that. So what would you say that you attribute most of your successes to or like the top three things? Definitely having a good support network, um, people that are both enable me to train and just kind of keep me grounded and, and focused and positive. I think a positive attitude is huge. I think uh, you have to believe that you can be successful and you have to just focus on positive things, not the, not the things that are holding you back or, or the obstacles, but um, what you can do to overcome them. I think that's really huge and just doing the work, you know, I'm uh, my coach gives me a program and I do it. And, uh, and that means I take the rest and I do the hard stuff. And uh, so just keeping perspective and, and do the work. Yeah, I'm definitely always inspired by the amount of discipline that you have in your life and how hard you work. It's really, really cool to watch. <laughs> Thanks. And I'm inspired by how you can push for hours and hours and hours in races. <laughs> and one day, maybe I'll chase you through a big stage race. Yeah, right. Race. I think that everything that you've done will translate beautifully to endurance racing or stage racing, like longer <laughs> stage races. Yeah. As long as there's lots of single track, I'm good. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So you mentioned your broken collarbones and like having crashes. And that's kind of that's a part of mountain biking. And I actually love that you tell people that you crash because some people think that pros don't crash. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I started a kids race series in uh, in Kamloops this year with uh, the Sprock Kids leader. And uh at the last race, I, that's what I wanted to talk to them about. Well, actually, at a couple of races, it was, it's just like, 
that crashing is a part of bike racing and you know it's like as long as you're not hurt you just have to get back up and and kind of get back on the saddle but also it was a good way because I had scrapes all over my elbows and knees from recent crashes and uh, just telling them about learning how to corner how you know when you're racing you like to go in really fast to corners and then you might have to jam on your brakes so slow in to fast out or else you'll have arms and or elbows and knees like mine (laughs) yeah it was a having lots of scrapes is a good learning lesson to show kids that you know you can fall down and get back up but also uh yeah how to how to maybe dial it back in when you're racing too so but how do you get the confidence back after a crash because I know like people have asked me about this and I've had my own fair share of crashes it's like, okay, well, you've hurt your collarbone or you've broken your wrist and now you're back out there trying to get comfortable again with going fast and riding technical terrain. So what would you recommend for getting your confidence back after that? Sure. Yeah, that's definitely the hardest part. It's not the physical healing, but the, the confidence healing. For myself, it's making sure that you're progressive. You don't need to go back out and then throw yourself off the jump where you fell and broke your collarbone just to prove something, right? You have nothing to prove. You need to kind of build up your confidence just like you're building back your strength and so yeah just do it step by step and uh, be confident and and have your fundamental skills before you're pushing it to the next level awesome well I want to talk about your equipment because I think that in some ways you're a trendsetter and you're a pioneer like you don't just do what everybody else is doing when it comes to equipment so what's been your journey I mean you mentioned in 2008, we were still using three chain rings, which I actually completely forgot about. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I was thinking about doing this uh, picture because like in the first Olympics, I had three chain rings and the second Olympics, I had two chain rings and the third Olympics, I had one chain ring. So what's next? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> My handlebars have gotten progressively wider. My stem's shorter. I've got a dropper seat post on my, on my full suspension bike. Now we're riding full suspensions. We're riding bigger wheels. There's so many changes in the industry that uh, it can be hard to keep up for sure. Yeah. So you ride a 27.5, right? I do. Yeah. And I'm sure that people have asked you like, well, why don't you ride a 29er? And how do you make those decisions based on what equipment you should use when you have so many different options? Sure. Yeah. With uh, the bicycle company that I ride with Orbea, we, um, they sent me a sample 29er prototype to try and the 27.5 and I did testing and it was really funny because sometimes my perception was that it was faster on the 29er, but the time didn't actually match up. And what it came down to is I was faster on the bike that I spent more time on, was more comfortable. I felt like I had to make being five foot five. I felt like I had to make less compromises in my setup in terms of like stem angle and, and all those things to get the fit that I wanted. And I just felt really at home and centered on the 27.5. I felt like I could get my weight over the front end to corner traction and uh, while descending. And it was just the right fit for me. So that's why I chose to go 27.5. You know, I think the, the sport is constantly evolving. What racers are looking for in their geometry has changed. So definitely, I think both bikes are fast. And I think it's in certain terrain, one is going to shine more than the other, but it's going to be, it's going to be small fries. And uh, so it's whatever gives you more confidence and whatever is more fun for you. Cause that's the bike that you're going to push harder and you're going to be faster on is what you just makes you feel more comfortable. So that would be my advice. So if you're choosing wheel size, what feels good and go with that. And then I did decide to go try racing with a dropper seat post this year. And why I did that is 
I just like the way that dropper C posts are going to enable us to pro- progress riding skills. You know, yes, I can ride everything on a cross country course with my seat up, but can I feel more stable and push harder and corner harder and feel better jumping with ability to put my seat down and lower that center of gravity? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that makes me a more playful rider and it makes it more fun. And so, At this point, I'm less worried about how many grams I'm carrying up the hill and more how can I progress my riding. That's so cool. I definitely made that switch last year myself, putting the dropper seat post on my cross-country bike and just saying it's heavier, but I think overall it's just way more fun to ride. And you save energy on the downhills because you're not trying not to die. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I did some testing and I was like seated up and seat down and I was really disappointed because I thought the time would be like so much faster with my seat down. And it was like one or three seconds or something like that over three minutes. But then I looked at my heart rate and my heart rate was 10 beats lower with the seat down. So I was like, oh, so I was going as fast without pushing as hard. That's really huge. And, you know, in cross country World Cups, really our descents aren't that long. So whether how big a difference it makes in my racing, I don't know. But when I'm traveling over and I'm learning a race course a couple days before I'm jet lagged and I have to learn a new jump or feature in a hurry. It's really nice just to have the confidence of uh, knowing that I can get low and stable and just have that spend less time worrying about learning new features and more time with the proper race preparation. Yeah, the World Cup courses, I I like watching them on Red Bull TV and they look pretty gnarly, like in progressively more gnarly year after year. So how have you kind of managed that progression? Because being a Canadian rider, like I'd say from my experience, BC is crazy, a crazy technical place to ride a bike. And compared to a lot of other people, maybe it used to be that they didn't have that experience riding technical terrain. But now that the level of technical riding is up on the World Cup circuit, I feel like that's actually changing the sport of mountain biking a bit. Yeah, it's changed it hugely. Uh, The first time we saw a really big jump in a course was in 2010. And I think two girls did the gap jump. And then the next year we had a world championships on the same course and every girl, but probably two were jumping it. And uh, so it was really neat to see how our sport changed and everybody adapted to it. And the level of riding that I'm seeing in the women's cross country field throughout the field is just astronomically amazing. It's so cool to see the skill level in the field and uh, the progression. It definitely, it has changed. Um, I think maybe the transition was harder for the people that had been racing for a while before those changes happened. Because if you're girls now that are growing up doing BMX and things where they're having experience jumping. And when you're 22, you don't think about the consequences of doing a gap jump as much as you do when you're 36. So, you know, it definitely, it's been a transition of how I train, how doing, having to do more repetitive stuff. I think I'm fortunate in that I've always been exposed to really good single track in BC, but now it's actually exposing myself to features, stopping and looking at things and analyzing things and not letting fear creep in when you're stopping to look at things rather than just riding the trail right so that's been something that I've had to work on and improve on learning how to jump like my physics lessons with Keith this morning (laughs) (laughs) I'm sad I missed out on that I want in (laughs) Um, so yeah how can I go faster further (laughs) so yeah it's been different but I think that's what keeps makes our sport so awesome is that it's always changing right whether it's uh 
everywhere you go, it's, it's new terrain, it's new weather conditions. And it's even the same course can be different from one day to the next. So you have to be really adaptable. You have to embrace challenge and change and um, just go with it and keep progressing. Do you think that the growth and how the sport is evolving has helped you stay interested in having a long career? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm, I'm not sure if it didn't change. Uh, I think so. You know, I think there's always something new to learn and, and to improve. And, you know, like watts are, are hard to gain. You're not going to, I'm probably, my power numbers aren't a whole lot different than they looked in 2008. However, in 2008, I wouldn't have been doing gap jumps um, <laughs> you know, or uh, so different things like that. And, and I think bike technology keeps it interesting to stay in the sport too, because now I don't just have a road bike and a hardtail. I've got a road bike, a hardtail, a full suspension cross country bike, a trail bike, and a, like a bigger bike. So, you know, there's so many ways to just keep sport fun and playing and to experience it in a totally different way. Yeah, and you do some some enduro racing now and then. And how do you manage that? Because do you worry about crashing and then messing up your World Cup season? Or do you think it really helps your World Cups? Yeah, I mean, it's always in the back of the, my mind because I think my sponsors would be more forgiving if I hurt myself cross-country training than doing an enduro. But the enduros that I've done have been in my town. So there is an area that I'm more familiar with. And I know that I'm going to push myself, but I'm not going to take huge risks in the middle of my season. So I think if you ride fearful, then you're going to crash because you're going to be stiff and tense and on your brakes. If you just ride for flow and try and have a, a good ride, then you're going to progress your skills and you're going to, and you're going to stay upright. And what it was really interesting doing the enduro. It's such a different style of racing where you're very <laughs> casual on the climb up and then you're trying to go as fast as you can on the way down. And, uh, uh, when we're getting back to where we were talking about mistakes and not getting caught up in them. And the first stage I did enduro a couple of weeks ago and the first stage I had had clean runs the entire time, like training. And then in my race run, of course I had two dabs and like getting caught up on that and like thinking, Oh, you dabbed, you didn't do that before. And you made this mistake. And then just how important it is to stay in the moment. And I think you can do some amazing just mental training stay with enduro time dh runs like whether you're chasing a strava segment or, or what it is you're doing but just having that period of time where you're really focused you have to stay present if you make a mistake just move on and try and nail the next corner right and uh just that constant like noting of mistakes but moving on and, and just always staying present in, in what you're doing yeah that was something i definitely found i did enduro for the first time last year i did some enduro stage racing and it was funny because the year before that, I actually took a, like a driving course on like how to mm -hmm. be like a, a better driver, just yeah, on, so a, like on a racetrack. We should do it sometime. <laughs> the, totally. the, the guy lives in uh, Pemberton. So yeah. But he said to me, you have a really hard time letting go of your mistakes. Mm. And yeah. I thought, wow, I probably do that in mountain biking too. And then my first yeah. enduro was at Trans New Zealand. And I realized like I'm focusing on my mistakes again. I need to push these out of my mind. So yeah, that's totally, that's definitely been helpful for me to learn how to let go of those mistakes and just move on. For sure. And I think like, that's actually something that I've gotten from doing meditation. I do this um, app, it's called Headspace and you can just uh, guide you through meditation. And it's about like, yeah, your mind's going to be going, it's going to have a million thoughts happening and you're going to want to get caught up on certain thoughts, but acknowledge them and then let them go. And I'm trying when I notice that I'm doing that on the bike, whether it's your legs are hurting or it's hot or you made a mistake, be like, yeah, it's hot. You made a mistake. 
go forward. Yeah, no so story attached to it. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah, exactly. Just having some keywords that keep you bring you back to the moment and, and pedaling forward. Yeah, I love that app. I, I use that app as well. It's really helpful. Too. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say to, to wrap this up? People who are interested in not even racing, but just getting into the sport of mountain biking, like what would you say to them? I say give it a go. You never know how much you might love something until you try it. But like anything, it's it's a learning curve. So uh, surround yourself with people that are fun to do it with and uh, give yourself the time to progress and learn and enjoy it in the way that biking is fun for you. Great. And where can people find you if they want to follow your World Cup adventures and, and beyond? Sure. I'm, I like most athletes. I'm on every social media outlet. So uh, yeah, on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at C Pendrel. And on Facebook, I'm Catherine Pendrel MTB. Cool. And then I have a blog, which I intermittently write on, but I'm thinking about writing about yoga and enduro next. So <laughs> all right. Tuned. I can't wait to read that. Yeah, we'll put those in the, uh, the show notes as well as a link to the Headspace cool. app. So you guys can uh, check that out. But Thanks so much for taking the time. I know you're really busy and for joining us today on the show and really looking forward to riding with you. Yes, awesome. I uh, definitely want to hook up for another ride. Thanks, Sonia. Cool, thanks. Every time I talk to Catherine, I learn something new and this podcast was no exception. She is so inspirational and I love how she talks about overcoming fear and how she is always committed to personal and professional growth. Thanks so much for coming back and listening to episode eight of the podcast. Things are going really well and I really appreciate all of the reviews that you guys are leaving. Hint, leave a review. But no, seriously, they're really helpful and really awesome. And guys, if you're interested in supporting the show even further, I have a Patreon page, which is in the show notes listed if you click over the information on iTunes. And you can actually contribute to helping the show get better and even get some things in return. Don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter. I've been sending them out once every few weeks, but I try to include coupon codes from sponsors and I actually have a few to give you guys and kind of what my whereabouts have been because I'm always on the go. Right now, my main focus is preparing for this stage race in Colombia. It's a seven-day race called La Leyenda del Dorado, and it's the first week of August. I'll be racing with Amy Beth McDougall, who is the South African marathon champion, and she's done tons of other stage races. So I'm hoping I can pull my weight because it's at altitude, but I'm really focused on training for this event. And I'm also excited to be going to Vancouver to see my nephew graduate and also doing a really cool project with the Oregon Tourism board. I get to go ride all the raddest trails in Oregon and then tell you guys about that. And that's just in a few short weeks. There's some really awesome podcast guests coming on the show that I can't tell you about because I don't want to ruin the surprise, but make sure that you check back periodically or subscribe to the show. That way you don't miss out on all the inspirational and educational fun information. And again, if you guys have feedback for me, things that you'd like to see, different types of guests that you like to have, leave a review or even just send me an email through my website because I do this to help bring the brightest, 
minds and great information just to help us all become the best version of ourselves and to always be on that quest to learn new things. I know that I definitely feel happy whenever I'm learning and it's really cool to be able to interview and ask people questions that not only answer questions that I have, but questions that you guys have too. In the meantime, I'll see you guys on social media. I love it. I love connecting with you and wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures.